Hello, hello, you chasers of excellence. Patrick here with a very quick introduction to today's episode. Today's episode is a special one. We are rebroadcasting an interview, a conversation that Ben had with Chris Williamson. Chris is the host of a podcast that I think you might really like. It's called Modern Wisdom. Uh, you can find Chris on Instagram at Chris Will X. Again, that's Chris Will X. So check him out. I am a fan of Chris's podcast and of Chris himself, I recommend if you want to check out a couple episodes uh, that have recently been my favorites. He's got interviews with Greg McEwen, Cal Newport. He's talked to Rob Wolf, Jack Butcher, lots of folks, including Ben, obviously. So if you like this interview, if you like Chris, if you like his style, I definitely recommend you check out the show. And let's get into the conversation between Ben and Chris from the Modern Wisdom Podcast. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run. Always chasing. Never stop. Mr. Ben Bergeron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tress. Glad to be here. I'm really happy to have you here, man. It's been a long, a long time planning. Very glad that we finally got to sit down. Well, that's because you were traveling the world. You, In, it's hard to get you to sit, settle down and from yeah, your adventures. That's true. Dubai was Dubai was fun briefly. But today, I want to dig into your principles for excellence. This is like your your specialist subject, right? Uh, I don't think I'm a specialist in anything. I'm a generalist, I would say. Yeah, and 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 I. And excellence, I don't think it's like an oxymoron, right? Like you can't be a specialist in excellence because it's so elusive. It's like – that's why it's, a, it's the idea is like to chase it. It's not to own it. Like you can't – you're not going to get there. So at least I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so what does excellence mean to you? Like what is it? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a good question. I, I – you know, in real time, I'm going through my head right now. I was like, you should have a good answer for this. And I don't. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I wrote a book called Chasing Excellence. And you ask, like, what is excellence? It's, ah, wow. That's, yeah, something I should have an answer to. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it's, um, it's, it's a catch-all term for um, greatness. It's a term for um, achieving what you want to achieve. It's life on your terms. It's uh, world class. It's um, um, being incredibly proud of something, um, and I think that it's it's supposed to be um, like yeah. You can put all these like what is you know um, you know it goes from the spectrum of like world class to like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. You know, a slang word to whatever you, it means, whatever you want it to mean. To me, though, when I say the word excellence. It means um, like the best of your ability. That's what it really means. Is like, and that's why it's about chasing that because you're never, you know, call it maximizing your potential if you want to, which is a complete unknown. No one knows how much potential they have or what they're actually capable of. And you could also argue that people every now and then exceed their potential in some extenu, you know, extraordinary circumstances, people actually perform better than they are capable of because they get, um, whatever these magical powers are that people can lift a car off a, off a child, whatever it might be, or, 
um, you know, there's these kind of moments that people have where they get to these incredibly deep flow states where um, they 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 magnify their own abilities by twofold, whatever it might be. So I'm not so interested in the definition of what excellence is. I'm more interested in what are the practices that we should put into our everyday lives to get as close to whatever that term might be as possible. Because whether it's fulfillment, whether it's success on your terms or success on society's terms, whether it's winning, whether it's um, um, freedom, whether it's uh, the disciplined pursuit of less, whether it's – it's kind of like – it's up for you to decide what excellence is and then the pursuit of that is fairly consistent across all those different different domains, right? It's it's – I'm not writing anything that – anybody that's kind of dabbled in this – world like i'm not doing anything unique i'm just putting it through the prism of a coach that's it like i'm taking the same things that have been talked about for years whether you talk about it from the the early stoics to the monks to the um abraham lincoln to the ryan holidays to the james clears to the stephen coveys to the it's all like the the same um principles put into action it's just I'm putting through my own like little prism and the things that I've found worked and um, I'm learning a lot more than, you know, continually. And, you know, when I wrote the book, I don't even know when, I guess it was 2016 and that's five years ago. There's a lot of things in the book that I'm like, I, I, I'm not like, damn, I wish I didn't write that, but it's, I like, I don't agree with it anymore. You know, there's some interesting things that I've like, I've just changed perspective on. What are some of those? I, I put in the book, like one of the tenants, you know, so basically the, the book that I wrote is called chasing excellence. And it's these, um, you know, half dozen or, or dozen or so different characteristics or principles that people, I, at the time I was saying that these are the kind of the tenets. These are like the things that people need to have in order to become quote unquote excellent. Um, and things like that, things have changed. Like uh, one of the ones I said was positivity. And, um, the idea behind that was, People that are in a positive mindset, you know, I know you're preparing for to give a TED talk. So when you go on stage, if you're in a positive frame of mind, you're 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 a lot more likely to knock it out of the park than you are if you go out there and like, I'm gonna fuck this up. This is gonna be terrible. Like, oh my God, what if I stumble on my words? What if I forget my words? Like, it's kind of obvious, right? Everyone knows that. That's like success literature 101, visualization 101. But what's interesting is when you kind of dig into it, there's a case to be made for negativity. So in terms of prisoners of war, people with a negative mindset live longer than the optimists. The pessimists live longer than the optimists. The optimists say we'll be out, and this is the Stockdale paradox. This is uh, there's a lot of examples of this, but you know, basically the people that live the longest, the ones, um, it's not the people that are like it's okay, we'll be out by Christmas because Christmas comes and goes, and they're still in prison. That's like okay, we'll be out by Easter. Easter comes and goes, and they're still in prison. And all of a sudden it rolls around to next Christmas and they die, you know, they, they die of a broken heart. Well, it's also not the pessimist. That's kind of obvious. Like it, a pessimist is not the, the optimal state to be in either because the pessimist goes, this sucks so bad. Like I can't believe this. And they just end up eating themselves alive of negativity and they're not going to thrive. You can't thrive in a negative mindset, but you could also create that same parallel to, let's say you have a, 
you're you're um you're per, you're three months out from your TED talk. When you're three months out from your TED talk, I'd rather have you have a negative mindset. Because when you have a negative mindset, you're gonna think about all the different things that can go wrong. And you're gonna mitigate those things. But then when you walk on the floor, I want you to be in that flow state and that positive optimal mindset. So it's not really just like positive versus negative. It's not as binary as that. If you're a salesperson, again, I want you when you're preparing for that sales pitch to be a little bit negative. Like what are all the things that they could say? What's every question? What's every hole they could punch in our sales presentation? Then when you walk in the door, be like, yo, we got this because you're so prepared. The only way you're prepared is if you've been willing to brace for the hard stuff. Optimists have a tendency to go, the sun is always going to shine. The grass is always green. There's unicorns growing in the backyard. There's rainbows everywhere. Well, that just is not reality. Like reality is there is struggle. There is suffering. There is hardship in life. So the way I would frame this now is there is, it's not about positive or negative, you know, maybe the Shakespeare thing, but, um, there are no, there is no such thing as positive or negative, but thinking makes it so. So let's embrace harsh realities. Let's prepare for the worst. Let's be ready for the easy roads if they come and celebrate them along the way. But to me, it's more about being an extreme realist. Like I would rather have people be a realist than an optimist or a pessimist. What I got confused of was like when you walk on the floor, I'd rather be an optimist. And I got confused with a little bit about like the enjoying the journey so much. And like for people that are trying to truly, you know, another side thing I talked about was passion. Like screw passion. Like passion is like when people, when you find passion, people are excited for you. Like Chris, I'm so happy that you found something that you enjoy so much. I'm so happy for you. Like passion, 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 passion. That's not gonna get you to where you wanna go. What, where you wanna go is obsession. Like world-class, like it's reserved for people that are obsessed. And the athletes I work with, I, I'm lucky to work with, you know, a half dozen or so of the very fittest people on planet earth. And I see differences inside of those just four or five athletes of levels of passion versus obsession. The passionate people come in and they work their ass off. The obsessed ones go home and do film review. And they obsess over it and they obsess over their nutrition and they obsess over their recovery and they obsess over their sleep and they obsess over the right. And I mean, I'm, what I'm describing is Matt Fraser. Like that's Matt, like Matt left no stone unturned the entire way along the whole thing. Like every, he was obsessed. He edited his life down to the things that are going to move him closer to his goals. And if it didn't move him closer to his goals, it was gone. It was eliminated. And there was no second guessing it. It was a complete obsession. Now, if you were to go to Matt and go like, are you passionate about this? Matt would be like, no, it kind of sucks. Like he's not, he wasn't passionate about it, but he was certainly obsessed. So there's things I've, I've, I've changed along the way, which I think is good. Like it's, I, I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm not like, I'm not like wishing that I, I was still had those thoughts because, you know, one of the other things I would have put in the book is curiosity. Like curiosity to me is like one of, if I was to list like three tenets of, um, like, uh, uh, of character traits that the world class have, like you gotta be curious. You gotta like want to know. And 
I didn't have that vocabulary. I didn't have that word. One of my um, employees gave it to me. We were talking about the differences of like world-class coaches versus good coaches. And they're like, one of the things I've seen is this certain coaches have this level of curiosity where they're always trying to like just make it better. Like it's this, you know, I, I, I t- tend to talk about like uh, excellence on a spectrum. On one end, if you have excellence, in the middle you have competence, the ability to do things. And then the far end, the opposite end, you would have complacency, which is like, eh, it doesn't really matter. Whereas excellence is like geeking out about every tiny little thing. It's the obsession. It's But the only way you get from competence to excellence is curiosity. If you're cool with being good, like then you're cool with being good and you're not going to you're, – you're, you'll stay there. Not right or wrong. I think you need to be competent in most areas of your life because you're not going to be able to be excellent across the board. You don't need to be excellent at doing your taxes. You just need to be competent holy, at, at doing holy your taxes. Holy crap. I just like literally the, the call I had before this was with my accountant. And <laughs> like literally when you just said that, I was like – Dude, what's it, like? Have you been watching me? Yeah, uh-huh. like literally, I hung up with my accountant. Uh, I am so bad with that crap. Like, yeah, that's yes. Yeah, I um, I really like the curiosity idea. It's the number. It's the first personal value that I've got in my list of five. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and, what are your other four? Uh, so it spells cases. Curiosity. Uh, I want to learn about myself and the world around me. Adventure. I want to meet new people and have experiences. Selfless development. I want to improve myself and then teach other people what I've learned. E, excellence. I want to I want to make the most of my minutes. I want to fulfill my potential. And S, self-care. In order to be everything I want to be for everyone else, I have to look after myself first. Cases. Good for you, man. That's great. I love it. Um, yeah, I think curiosity is a very scalable way to um, constantly be pushing towards more because curiosity is all of the good stuff around relentlessness without any of the bad stuff like the 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 grinding side the gary v hustle and grind side of relentlessness is the bit that people kind of realize is going to be the grind but the curiosity side is just constantly fulfilling an inquisitive nature i want to know more i want to know more not i have to know more um yeah before people even start thinking about excellence is there something they need to do beforehand before they start learning your tools and tactics and strategies and what are the tenets? Do they need to do something before? Well, I love, I love what you just laid out there in terms of this. Um, it, it's beyond the grind, right? It's this level of curiosity of just better for betterment's sake, right? It's like just the evolution of our being. So I talk about this in terms of like the hierarchy of mindset. So I'll get to, I'll get to the question you just asked. I'm purposely, I'm, I'm, I'm going to revert back to the earlier thing you said because I think it's really interesting because uh, I think it ties this conversation together. And to me, we need to give a language to mindset. We need to be able to um, create the prism and know where we are on the spectrum because what everyone does is they go resilience, grit, fortitude, mental toughness, tenacity, like like passion, perseverance. Okay. Like what, what do we do with those things? Like what, what, what do we do with that? And we're, and the more you kind of get exposed to those things, it shows the gap of where you actually are. So what I would like to know is, um, 
for this moment that I'm experiencing right now, how am I doing? And I think about that in terms of four different layers, four or five different layers, levels. Level one and the lowest level is the victim mindset. The victim mindset, you have no control over the situation. Um, and you are truly just at the whim and the mercy of the world. And you give up total control and responsibilities. There's zero ownership. That's the, that is the worst level. And probably people that are listening to your podcast and mine, they're not there, but maybe in like every now and then something like that pops up and where like the boss says you got to work on the weekend and maybe they slip into it for a minute, right? It's like, Oh, woe is me. That sort of thing. Most of people though would be a little bit above that level. Um, which to me is the pessimist and the pessimist goes, it's not like the woe is me as much as it's just like, ah, oh, this sucks. All right, I'll work this weekend. But it's a negative. It's a negativity they're bringing to it. And what we know is people won't perform well if they have a negative mindset than an optimist mindset, which is the next level, which is obstacles, not opportunities. I'm sorry, opportunities, not obstacles, right? You got to work this weekend. Okay, got it. I've got to work this weekend. That's an opportunity for me to do this, this, and this. It's not So the lowest level is the victim. The next level above that is the pessimist. The level above that is the optimist. And that's where most people start, stop. They're like, we gotta surround ourselves with positive people. We gotta um, be glasses half full. We gotta enjoy the journey and all that stuff. And that's that's when I wrote my book. That's was like, that's the top. And what I realized is, I've already alluded to it is a little bit, I would rather have the extreme realist, you know, Ray Dalio's words, like which is people that embrace harsh realities, accept life for what it is, and realize that there is gonna be struggle, there is gonna be strife. And we can navigate it. That's okay. We don't need to pretend like this doesn't exist. Like there's a pandemic. Okay, no big deal. Pandemics happen every 100 years. And this one's nowhere near as bad as the last one. Totally cool. Now we can still thrive in this moment today. Like babies crying in the middle of the night. Victim goes like, oh my God, why is my baby crying? <laughs> the pessimist goes, oh, this sucks. I'm not gonna sleep tonight. The optimist goes, it's okay, maybe my baby will stop crying in a, in, a, in a minute. And the baby doesn't stop crying, obviously, because the realist realizes babies cry. Like that's what happens. But what you alluded to, which I love so much, is the language that I've even started using, is there's a level above the extreme realist, which is what I call the curious competitor, which they're actually seeking out adversity. They're seeking out challenges. They're seeking out hardship they're seeking out the hard conversations because they know they're seeking out the discipline because they know it's only through those actions that they forge their character. That is the actual where you get to put all of the practice, all of the meditation or journaling or listening to podcasts or self-reflection or whatever it is. That's where you actually get to put it into practice. And people in our space, like the CrossFit world, know this. That's why we choose this sport. We recognize that the greatest adaptation is between your years. It's not about the hour in the gym. It's about the, how the hour in the gym affects the other 23 hours outside the gym. We're becoming better, stronger, more formidable human beings because of the hardship that we're going through. We're not looking for the shortcut. In fact, we want the opposite. We want Murph in a weight vest. Like we want the hardest possible thing because we know what's at the other side of that, a better version of myself. So why would we shy away from the baby crying in the middle of the night. That's an opportunity for us to see if we can be more patient. Can I be present during this moment? Can I still bring love and affection to my child in this moment? And if I can't, what you alluded to, it's not a win or a loss. It's not about the leaderboard. Sometimes we're not going to do great at this. 
but it's the awareness of that journey. And that constantly walking through this life with that level of awareness and that prism, that's what gets us closer to, quote unquote, chasing excellence. I tweeted something the other week that said, people are rarely fearful of the future when they're genuinely curious about what it holds. And this is something that I keep on falling back to. Uh, It's taken a lot of time to get it from system two to system one, but it is becoming more automated over time. And I genuinely think when something occurs that's uncomfortable, a thought or a, a, the texture of my mind gets me to a place where I don't want to be, it's almost automatic now for me to think, how interesting. Like, why? Yeah, love that. Why is that there? What what triggered that? So earlier on today, we had like a, a message that pissed me off to do with work. And I thought, I, I noticed it. I could feel it inside of me. I was getting hot. My mm-hmm. neck got hot. I remember observing it and going, that's so interesting. Like, I wonder why that's there. There's a story, I think it's in Chasing Excellence, of Katrin, and maybe she was going into training and hadn't slept very well the night before, or maybe hadn't eaten very well the night before. And I think you said that her mindset wasn't, this training session's a write-off, it's completely pointless. It was, this is a great opportunity for me to train at suboptimal preparation. How well can I get through this session with that? Isn't it interesting that I have this opportunity. Maybe, and a couple of years later it happens, maybe we're going to be flown to the other side of the country to go and do an event that we weren't prepared for at the beginning of the CrossFit Games with no sleep, without our food, with no coaches, with no this, that, and the other. And um, that curiosity is so much more scalable. It can go across every situation. The hacks and the tips and the tricks are great, but their domain is narrow. The curiosity scales. What you... um what you're highlighting there, which is so powerful, is that awareness, right? That awareness that when that trigger happens and you get that bad email or Katrin doesn't feel like she's prepared for the workout or your spouse says, hey, we need to talk or um, you get that bad uh, comment on social media or whatever – or someone cuts you off in traffic. Whatever that thing is that gives you that like little feeling, right? The power is recognizing that that's a trigger and it's not a tunnel. A trigger is something that sets you off, but you don't need to follow it through. A tunnel is you get in a tunnel and you follow it through to the end, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's data. It's not a decision. Like it's just this feeling. It's just like there's that data point. Huh. And as you said, isn't it interesting that that made me feel that way? Well, why did it do that? Well, there's evolutionary biology can kind of let us know what's going on. So what happens is in when we were like cave men and women kicking around the campfire, it was all about survival. It was like 100% about survival. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it was about shelter, air, food, um, not getting put out in the um, exposed to the elements. So the biggest, most powerful thing we had there was our tribe. Like the tribe was the safety. So what we were so became so innately aware of through our subconscious brain, not conscious. It was not like, hey, this person, it's why trust, it's why love are these in, you can't define them. You tell me why you love your wife. You can't, but you can say it's this feeling I have. Those things are real. It's part of the lizard brain, the limbic part of the, the emotional part of the brain. And it's really good at picking up these signals. And what happens is as cavemen and women, 
when a twig would go snap in the woods, you would startle flinch. It would be thought out. It would just happen to be a reaction immediately to protect yourself because it might be a saber-toothed tiger. That same reaction happens when maybe you hear someone gossiping about you because if they don't like you, if they see you as a threat or they don't think that you're contributing to the group um, or um, you might be an outcast, they push you out of the group and you're going to die. So the thing is, those feelings don't serve us anymore. We're not going to be pushed out of our three-bedroom apartments with the two-car garages into the wild because somebody said something bad about us on social media. Yet from an evolutionary biology perspective, nothing's changed. You can you can take the, the, the person out of the Paleolithic era, but that the brain parts comes with it. And we are still hardwired to respond, to react to those situations like they're real life-threatening events. So you get an email from somebody that says something bad about your business or whatever it might be, and your brain goes like life-threatening, life-threatening. When it's not, it's just an opportunity to make your business better. It's a data point. It's a point of feedback. And if you didn't react to it emotionally and said you took a calculated response, you were responsible, you took ownership, response, able, able to respond, you did it calculated, you did it through a thought out process, something that you're going to be proud of later on, that's going to be productive. Those are all characteristics of responding as opposed to reacting, which is emotional, overreacting, um, instinctual, um, something that you're going to regret later on, unproductive, it's the way amateurs act. One is going to serve us and one is not. It's so much more powerful for us to take this um, this like curious approach of, whoa, where'd that feeling come from? Isn't that interesting? And then we can respond instead of react. It's the single best advert or the single best justification that I can give anybody that's still not convinced about meditation, that mm. the trait change of meditation comes very, very slowly. To get yourself to the point at which you've made a system-wide OS update to the texture of your mind, it takes a lot of time. I'm over a thousand days deep on Insight Timer now. And Whoa, good for you, man. Yeah, I mean, it's the 10 and 15 minute sessions, but still. It doesn't matter. Like, it's that's, consistent. No, it's about frequency, yeah. Um, and the main thing that I've got is that what Corey Allen refers to as the mindfulness gap, which is the brief beat between mm. stimulus and response just the moment where you notice the texture before you actually decide to react. And um, even if I meditate for the rest of my life and I don't get any more, any closer to nirvana than that, if enlightenment for me is simply not being at the mercy of the wind as soon as it hits me, that for me, I'll consider that a win. And I think that it's, it, it's something that I really wish, not only that I'd had earlier in my life, but I, I wish it was like a gift that I could give to other people as well. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I'm so I've been, um, very introspective for a long time and kind of like trying to figure out my values and principles and who I want to be and what I want to stand for and how I want to spend my time and how I want to react to certain situations and where I want to put my energies and all that stuff. But for whatever strange reason, I, I pushed off meditation for a long time. And I think it's because it was always, 
sold to me as it's a great way to become calm and lower stress. And I'm, I'm a fairly calm, low stress person. So I was like, I don't see if that's, if that's the carrot at the end of the race, like I, I don't think it's a race worth racing. And I got, I got kind of tricked into meditation when I started doing Wim Hof. Um, so I, I started doing breathing, practicing, not realizing I was going to be falling into a meditative state. So, <laughs> um, I'm on day about 55 of, of Wim Hof, um, consistently. I've missed, I think two days along the way. And, um, it's a really powerful breathing technique. And then afterwards you just, you, you sit in this incredibly deep, deep meditative state. And I had these amazingly powerful awakenings really, really early on. And of course, like there's the roller coaster of like some of them suck and you wish that you could go back to the good ones. And, um, it's not linear and it's, um, um, such as the, the, the journey of all of our lives in every form and fashion, why would meditation be any different? Um, but it's again, like we, I, I only wish that I had found this earlier and to the point where I'm, I'm doing research on the, the super high achievers, you know, w- t- 10 years ago and everybody's journaling and everybody's meditating. And I'm like, eh, not for me. Like how arrogant how asinine. Like, oh, this is the best in the world across the field. Everybody's doing these two practices. But not I'm for like, me. Eh, eh, I got it. <laughs> how funny, man. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm only, you know, and, and here I am again, kind of like espousing how amazing it is. And I'm only a few months into this thing, but it's, I realize how um, ignorant and arrogant I was in that, that field because I agree with you. It's, it's an incredibly enlightening, um, enlightening practice. The moment that you realize that you can step into your own programming is the day that your life changes, as far as I'm concerned. The fact that you know that you don't have to be at the mercy of the next thought that comes careering into view. Like it's it's like watching traffic on a road. You don't control whether the traffic yeah. comes or goes. Um, but yeah, so getting back to the, the, the excellence discussion, is commitment the foundation that's the first chapter from chasing excellence is that still kind of the first tenet that people need to take on board no so i would so and maybe this is why because what you just said there is like the the when you feel like you can control the operating system in your inside of you like it's the first step of the rest of your life and you you tend to take control um i i sort of found that a different way than meditation so that's like i found this through a, a another portal and that's probably why I was like, oh, I don't need it. So to me, it starts with, in terms of like the the pursuit of excellence, it starts with not necessarily commitment because what the hell are you committing yourself to? Like, how can you how can you commit to something where you haven't figured out what that should be? So to me, it's the it's knowing thyself, um, and that what a what better way to to try to figure that out than meditation and journaling. Um, and for that, you need solitude, you need the self-reflection, you need a bunch of different things. Um, and that is a practice I did. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, um, you know, what is it that is going to make me fulfilled? And that's a word I use all the time. So if I was to write the book again, it'd be called Chasing Fulfillment because that's like – that to me is the most important thing. It's not about – excellence. Excellence is subjective. And are you just trying to impress other people? Are you looking for the applause and the accolades? Are you looking for the awards and the trophies? That to me sucks. Um, cause what you might end up doing, which a lot of people do is they get to the top of the ladder only to realize the ladder was leaning up against the wrong wall. Like that just, that's 
my biggest nightmare in the world is to be chasing excellence to something which ultimately does not matter. Like, oh my God, I worked my ass off, like worked so damn hard for what? Like, so my first step is I think the most important thing is what you've done, your cases, right? Which is established to you, what is it that you want to, um, what are the values that you want to use to guide your life? Like, what do you believe in? Like, who are you as a person and what do you um, want to get to the end of the race with? So otherwise what you do is you let other people decide that for you, either the education or your parents or the normal, um, the normal traditional route is going to be laid out for you. And you're just going to be the lemming following along and maybe you're a really good fast lemming or you're a really smart lemming or you're really good looking lemming, but essentially you're not making decisions to where you want to be. And you actually have, you can control the directives of your life. And when, to me, it's like, when you understand that, like I talk about in terms of like the circle of control, you know, like what are the things that you ultimately control in your life? And you have to put all of your effort into those things in which you can influence and ignore everything else. What I think people don't realize is how much they actually can influence. People are like, well, um, like, okay, so I can't, uh, I, I don't like my boss. Okay, can't control my boss, so I'm not gonna worry about that. Like, I don't like, I, I don't like the weather. Can't control the weather, so I'm not gonna worry about that. Um, I would say, like, what are you talking about? Like, you can control who your boss is. If you don't like your boss, like, quit your job and get a different job. You are not a victim. Like, if you don't like the weather, there are plenty of places in the world that have better weather than where you are living right now. Now, if you live in Maui and you don't like the weather, like then you're just a pessimist and I can't help you. But like if you don't, if it's that much, if, if it means that much to you, take control. People are like, well, I don't, I can't move because um, my family's here and I care about my family. Okay. If that's actually true, cool. Like family is a real value to you then understand why you're here and stop complaining about something that now you can't control because you're going to be here. And to me, it's that understanding of what is it that really means a lot to you? What is important to you? What is your identity? Like, who are you? For me, I love your cases. To me, it's a four L's. I found that, and I've fumbled through this a bunch of different ways. I've been tracking this on a daily basis. I have about 25 things I track on a daily basis. Um, and it's, um, for me, it's, it's, um, live, love, lead and learn. So you've got rid of legacy. Yeah. I got rid of legacy. Yeah. Good call. Wow. I'm impressed. Um, legacy is outside my control. And what a, a legacy to me is like, do I want people to, I, I was using legacy. I, I didn't want people to wreck statues of me. I didn't want people to write books about me when I was gone. I, and I, I realized that, um, I'm going to be one generation stardust, like, my kids will remember me. My grandkids might have vague recollections of me. And after that, it's done. Like, and anything after that, it's like, it to me is all ego. Like you are just trying to drive the ego. And it's the last thing I want is I'm trying to melt my ego as much as I possibly can. So, um, and ne legacy never was supposed to be about that for me. Legacy for me was like, I want my kid, I want to be the hero of my kids' lives. So, I just wrap that into love. Um, I, I, to me, it's the love aspect of it. Um, so once you kind of figure out what those things are, and it's nice to have alliterations or acronyms, acronyms yeah. for sure. 
because um, I think that those carry weight because you got to be able to know them. If you're like, uh, people are like, what are your values? What's important to you? And you go, hold on, let me pull up my notes <laughs> You always on my forget phone. the fourth one or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's probably not that powerful to you. So, um, so to me, like it starts with that. It starts with like, and I, I, I came back to this and I eliminated, um, legacy through meditation, realizing like, um, you know, what makes me feel alive? What makes me feel alive? Like really alive. And for me, it's like living life for you. That's adventure. That's, that's me. It's like, have experiences, say yes, get outside, go do things like that's, living life for me. So we're very similar in that fashion. Um, learn is curiosity for me. So it's the same thing with me. It's like, I, I feel so alive when I'm, um, becoming, um, like honing skills and figuring stuff out. And, um, um, the curiosity thing is just like, that's like curiosity is like the fastest way into a flow state. Like I just love like, Oh my God, like, yes. Um, love, is basically it's about me. It's, it's my family. I love like family means so much to me. I'm a family first guy. Um, if it's, um, comes down to this or that, and that is family. It doesn't matter what this is. Like it's going to go away. Um, and then, um, the last one's lead, which I found is like, I like being a coach like that. There's a reason I became a coach is I like, um, I, I feel really good. I feel really fulfilled when I'm helping other people. And I've tried to do this in other ways, like giving to charity or teaching or um, and it's, uh, nothing f- fulfills me quite as much as the, the, the leading thing. And it works for me in business too. So when I'm like, um, you know, um, helping develop our staff or whatever it might be, like I love that um, aspect of things. I like the responsibility of it. I like um, – um, having, um, trying my best to help other people. So to me, it's, that's where you start. Um, and then from there we can get into the commitment thing and there it becomes like, um, the daily actions and then it gets into the next stuff. Got you. Let's talk about commitment. How important is it? Um, If we don't commit to it, what we're doing is we're just kidding ourselves. And it's it's easy to kid ourselves because us sitting here talking about this right now, we feel good. If you talk about your goals, your body releases dopamine. That is one of the, the really scary things about goals. If you talk about running a marathon this year, you're going to feel really good. And you talk about like the running program you're going to do, you're going to start feeling really good. You start talking about like, I'm going to actually do this in under four hours. You're going to start to feel really good. You haven't done anything yet. Like you've done nothing. All you're doing is kidding yourself. So I like the few – like it's – it's. you know, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions speak so loudly. Like it is only about what you commit yourself to. So I can pretend to espouse like leadership. I can pretend to espouse like family. I can spend to espouse like – living my life. But if I'm not actually doing the daily tasks that inch me closer to those, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to have some sort of like salesman. I'm just kind of like throwing it out there. So I know that this is, I don't even know if this is, um, I know you can see this, but other people can't. I, I, I started tracking my commitment to see how committed I am. So I write down my values 
And yeah. then wow. um, for under my values for every day, I have four or five things for each value and I check them off if I do them each day. And I've done this for since, um, 2015. So I'm, they iterate, they change, they morph there, but you know, um, but it lets me know. And when, when I don't do it, guess what happens? So it's, it's not rocket science either. It's just like, it's really simple. So, so like to give some context to it. So, um, love to me, it's about love. So love is be home by six o'clock every night. Um, have family dinner, um, contact my wife in the middle of the day. So while I'm at work, contact her before I get home, um, play with, I call them the littles. I have two little kids. Um, so play with the littles, call my mom and dad. So those are the five things I have for love and I'm tracking those. And what I found was those things come in and there's other things that shake their place. But what I found is when those, if I haven't done those things consistently enough, something feels weird in me. Like, but if I'm doing those things, that kind of category, I'm kind of good. Like I'm kind of good with that family love thing. I'm really good with that. So for leadership, it's like have a hard conversation. Like I actually now seek out a hard conversation every day. Like that's what leaders do. They have hard conversations with people. Um, the next one is like connect, like emotionally, empathetically, whatever it is with an employee. So with somebody on my team, Another one is um, connect with a uh, member. So connect with somebody um, that works out at the gym. Um, another one is thought leadership, which is code word for me. It's like I, I give a talk after my classes. And when I, give, when I don't give a talk, it doesn't feel like I've given everything I have to it. But the talks are hard. I have to prepare for them. And, um, and the last one is, which I found is um, leaders need to be prepared. So did I prepare for a meeting today that I'm going to have tomorrow. Cause otherwise the last thing you want to do as a leader is walk into the area where you're supposed to be the leader and be unprepared. So that to me is like a, the commitment thing is like, are you actually doing it? So people have core values, organizations have them. And what they fail to do is operationalize them. Okay. You got these cool things that you said are important to you. Like we are about integrity. We are about faith. We are about um, customer service. We are about whatever it is. And they just leave them there up on the wall and they forget to operationalize them. And it's only when you operationalize them that they mean anything. That's the commitment aspect. That's when it comes to fruition. That's when you're actually taking steps forward. What does maximizing minutes mean? Um, so in stoic philosophy, I'm going to butcher it, but it's amorafati, I believe it is. Which, um, um, is that love thy fate? Love thy fate. Yeah. Uh, no, it's the other one. It's the one. Uh, so there's a two sides. It's the, uh, um, butchering it. It's the idea that we're all going to die. That's so me is that not memento mori? We're all going to die. Like again, embrace harsh realities. You only have so much. So this is kind of, Cool. When you think about like, okay, I'm going to live till I'm going to live to 90. Cool. And people are like, oh, all right, cool. And I'm in my um, early thirties. It, it, it doesn't put that much urgency into anything. When you change it to how many summers you have left. So you have 57 summers left. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, like summers go by pretty quick. 
Like, yeah, you only have 57 more summers left. And that's if you're, that's if you're in your 20s or 30s. So I'm now 44 years old. So now I get, you know, 40 something more summers left. I got to make sure that each of those things matter. Now that's a summer. Now all you have to do then from there is go like, okay, well, we got to make these weeks count. Then, okay, we got to make these days count. Then, okay, we got to make these hours and minutes and seconds count. And when I start to think about this this way, there's a, there's, there's a cost to it. Like I can't sit through a movie anymore. I, I can't, I don't, I don't know the last movie I've watched. People are like, you got to watch this show on Netflix. You know, you got to watch Yellowstone. You got to watch Breaking Bad. You got to watch Mad Men. You got to watch um, Game of Thrones. You got to watch, and I'm like, I, I've tried. Honestly, I've tried. And it's, I can't do it. I, it's, um, to me, I'm, I'm wasting my minutes. I just, it's not moving me closer to my end goals. Now, what I could do, and if I could create the translation between how this would help me maximize those values, then I can do it. I can sit through it. I, I seek out documentaries. I love documentaries because I'm learning in a documentary. That's one of my values. I love, love, love them. I will watch four documentaries back to back to back to back because whether it's about um, you know Jay-Z, whether it's about a chef, whether it's about um, um, Taylor Swift, whether it's about uh, a, a soccer team in England, whether it doesn't matter to me, whether it's about guys building shelters in the jungle, any sort of like, because to me I'm learning and it's like, I, that to me is maximizing, maximizing my minutes. Now I have a little bit more, um, my wife is a lot, even more tipped over the edge than I am on this. Like my wife can't do anything that's not productive. Um, she's, but she meditates, she reads, um, she journal, she does all these types of spiritual practices. Um, but she can never just, um, if she's sitting down, the sitting down is for a purpose and I'm meditating. And what she's like, she's so, um, to her, like every day matters so much and we got to get as much value out of every day as we possibly can. That's where it stems from. But then when it comes in terms of like me training my world-class athletes, everyone is in the gym for six hours a day at you and all of your competitors in the gym for six hours a day. If you go to the gym more, you're just going to overtrain. That's not beneficial. If you go to the gym less, you're going to undertrain. So, okay, you have that set amount of time. What are you doing with that time? And it's not a matter of like, are you rowing? Are you doing rope climbs? Are you clean and jerking? It's what's the intention and what's the level of focus you're bringing to those minutes? He or she who brings the most intention to their training and practice will win. That's how it goes. Like all else being equal, meaning that everyone has the same athletic background, everyone has the same genetics, everyone has the same equipment, same availability of opportunities, he or she, so everyone puts on the same training program in a vacuum, laboratory study. It's Everyone knows that certain people are not going to, people are going to uh, do better than other people, even if they're twins and they have the same identical makeup. Because some people are going to bring more intention to their practice. To me, that's what maximizing minutes are. Don't let the minutes slip away. They are the 
people like to say that time is the most valuable resource because it's the only non-renewable resource. I like that. And that's where this maximizing minutes idea comes from. But time is not the most valuable thing. Your focus is the most valuable thing. What are you focusing on during that time? Because most of us that are 30 or 40 years old have driven cars for 10,000 hours. Yet none of us are professional race car drivers because we're not intentional when we drive. Yet there's 16, 17, 18 year olds that are knocking on the door being pros that have driven half the time we have, but they're doing it with so much intention and focus. So it's not the 10,000 hour rule that Malcolm Gladwell made really popular. It's the deep deliberate practice that Eric Anderson originally espoused in his 10,000 hour study. That's the thing that matters. That's maximizing your minutes. If everyone gets 10,000 hours, why do some people come better than others? Because some people maximize their minutes and others don't. I'm going to guess that you're familiar with Cal Newport's deep work, and he's got a formula in that for work done. And he says work done equals time times intensity. And I guess that you could replace intensity for intentionality yeah, or yeah, yeah. I love uh, that. In- intention here. The interesting thing is that time passes at the same speed for all of us. You can't add more hours into the day. And time actually to compete on that, there's a minimum buy-in, as you said. You got to pay the price. You got to do six hours, but six hours is always going to be six hours, and it's six hours for everybody else. The variable with which you can change is the level of intensity far more easily. You're going to be able to change the intensity, the intentionality, the level of commitment and focus that you bring to the gym or any other task that you do far more easily than you're going to be able to bend the laws of space-time. So yeah. that's the thing. That's the variable to play around with. There's another another concept from the E Myth. Um, revisited where they say that uh, idea is the constant execution is the multiplier a lot of the time people come in and they think oh, I've got this I've got this awesome idea but like I'm gonna have to get you to sign a yeah. non-disclosure agreement before we talk about it and you're like dude like Joe Rogan isn't necessarily the best podcaster on the planet because he had the idea for the best podcast <laughs> he's the best podcaster on the planet because he has executed on that over and over and over again for 1,500 times. And what you said in the commitment side basically was a bias for action. It's you need to execute more than you plan. You cannot plan more than you execute. It's this uh, like masturbation by procrastination type thing that you just continue to make yourself feel good with this, but it needs to be action focused. And again, with this, a good heuristic that I think everybody can do is as soon as you have the beginning of an idea, what is the smallest next step that I can do that brings me toward that happening? Even if it's just opening the Word document, finding the person's email address, even before you know what you're going to email them, because it's like, right, I'm, I'm doing a thing. Learn to bias for action, not bias for planning. Because as you say, planning, it doesn't manifest in the real world. It's not moving you anywhere forward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we can sit here all the time and talk, you know, wax nostalgia about all the things that we find important to us. But if you don't take action towards those things, like what's it for? So you, what you've done in both of these sections, in maximizing minutes and in your commitment, your commitment is I want to ensure that my daily actions contribute to my long-term goals. I want to ensure that my minutes contribute to a life well lived. You've taken broad goals, a direction that I want to go in. You've broken those down into sub-goals and you've broken those down into daily actions that are going to contribute and move you in that direction. That... I think to some people might feel overbearing, 
like I haven't got any time to chill out. Well, what about I, Ben says he doesn't, he feels like every minute's got to be productive. Like that doesn't sound very fun. Mm-hmm. How do mm. you avoid burnout when you're moving toward this maximizing minutes and this level of commitment? Yeah, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm being intentional with the things that actually make me feel most alive, that give me the most feeling of um, joy and elation. It doesn't mean that it's joy and elation in the moment. It's like if we only chase pleasure, we're going to end up with a world of regret at the end. Like the most pleasurable things in the world are like ice cream, partying, Netflix, sex, like whatever it is. Like that's pleasure. If we just seek that, we're going to be, you know, hedonistic slobs. What we should be seeking out is the things that move us towards the end state that we're, that we're looking for, which is for me is fulfillment. So it's a little bit of this like exercise of hindsight in the present moment, right? Which is like on my deathbed, when I look back at my life, what are the things that I'm going to be really glad that I did? What are the ways I'm going to be glad that I spent my time? What are the things that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, um, are the ways that I'm living out my life. And I don't think that I'm going to go like, man, I was so glad I watched, um, you know, those four hours of Instagram today. So it's one of the things I've done in terms of like trying to, like, I, I track my Instagram, like how much time I'm spending on it. And it was, I was horrified to find when I first started doing this, that it's super easy to do on an iPhone. You go settings, battery, change it to hours and look down and see how much you're and I was spending like four to six hours in a 10-day span on Instagram. And I was like, oh my God. And then I had my athletes pull up theirs and it was like double that. I was like, whoa, this is terrible. So I did what I do in my life. I started editing it down. I'm down to, I follow 44 people, um, 44 different things. And most of it is just purely, um, I think that Instagram is this double-edged thing, which is, like, it's also the greatest education tool that's ever been created. Like it's amazing. You get more content easily through that platform than any other platform ever, um, which I think is so cool. But it's, it's also there's a lot of dangers to it. So I'm now down to about um, 44 minutes in a 10 day period. So four minutes and four minutes a day. So that's just like I, it's it's not pleasure. It's not it's not the thing that I want to be doing. So I'm not saying like you have to live your life as a robot at all. What I'm doing is I'm not wasting time mindlessly on the things that I think are making me feel good, which is actually a fallacy because it's just a fake dopamine response. I, you don't want to get tricked by feelings. Feelings are lying to us. They're lying to us. They're going to make us because it's survival mechanisms. We are calorie preservation machines. We want used to like go and do a, a 90 minute hunt and then we wouldn't go and leave the campfire for the rest of the day. We just lounge out preserving calories. We go forage for berries for 30 minutes and we chill out forever. Like that doesn't serve us anymore. And this idea of like the Netflix binging of watching nine episodes in a row of Gossip Girl, I think I'm going to get to the end of that and be like, okay, where did that help me live my life? Where did that help me love more and create better, stronger relationships with the people I mean the most in my life? Where did that help me lead other people, help give back? Where did that help me learn the curiosity and grow myself as a human being? And maybe Gossip Girl will give me some good tips. And maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe. There's, um, there's a, a concept that I was thinking about for a long so time. So just to like, sorry, if, if yeah, yeah. I, I, I do like doing other things though. Like I go, like in the summer, I love going on a boat with my family and going to a beach and hanging out. Like 
that I do. I love that. Love, love, love. I do that. I go skiing with my family and do things like that. I do watch documentaries. I do like, um, so I'm not just like 100% robot machine, go, go, go. Um, but to me, it's about the balance and the intentionality, right? I want the balance in my life. I don't want to be the most successful business person. I don't even want to be the most awesome dad is really strange and weird as that for me to say out loud because I want to be able to do four or five different things really, really well across the spectrum. There's a, a concept that I've been thinking about for a long time to do with your future self. So we have three selves. We have the past self that we remember. We have the present self that is experiencing and we have the future self that we anticipate, right? The person that remembers your life lives for far, far, far longer than the other two. The present moment's always fleeting. It comes and goes. The anticipating self only has a, a fairly sort of short window about what you think is going to happen in the future. But the remembering self exists literally from the day you're born until the day that you die and it compounds over time. So what I've been trying to do in my life is live for the remembering self to do the things that I know me tomorrow are going to thank me today for doing. And there's a, a quote from a TED talk that says, we pamper the present, the present self like a child that continues to cry. We constantly do things mm. that make the present self feel good. Um, we're planning on going to a new salsa class tomorrow. The anticipating self thinks, amazing, salsa class, that might be really cool. I might meet some new people. But it gets to the next day and it's salsa class time and it's a bit cold outside and you had a bit of a shitty day and maybe that glass of wine would be quite nice and Netflix is comfortable and I'm on the couch, present self, mm. pampered child. Mm. Remembering self tomorrow looks back and thinks, I, don't, I can't even remember what I watched. The glass of wine was all right, but I've had a million of them before. It doesn't really matter. Flip that around and be the person who says, okay, I'm going to do the salsa class. I'm going to go and attend because I know tomorrow when I look back, I'm going to gift this present moment to me in the future. This is every single present moment is a gift that I can give myself money in the bank, memories in the bank. And I'm going yeah. to be able to look back and remember the new people that I met and that memory that happened. We do nothing memorable with our days and then complain about the fact that life is forgotten. Life's going so fast. It just keeps on moving really, really quickly. If you want to remember the days that you've spent, you have to do something memorable with them. And a lot of the time, I think, we get stuck into very convenient, very comfortable routines. And that is what makes this last year. The last 12 months will have been probably for the vast, a lot of people that are listening, the quickest 12 months of their life. Why? It's because variety's been tuned down. You haven't been able to go and do as many different things as you want. You're sick of staring at the same four walls. So yeah, if there was ever a reason, a justification for you to focus on doing things for your remembering self in the future, it should be that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, have you done salsa classes? I did. So I learned salsa oh, for like my this my second ever girlfriend. Uh, she was like a professional salsa dancer. So I took secret salsa classes for a month. Uh, oh, so, did you really? Yeah, I did. It's such a romantic, oh, such a romantic man. Um, yeah, that's really cool. There's. I, I, there, there's a potential danger that lies inside of that, I, I, I think, um, which is you could just be constantly chasing the next high, chasing the next activity for the sake of the activity. 
So um, this is like the adrenaline junkies. This is my former life. I was a ski bum. I would just like I, – I chased the, the next snowstorm. I chased the next pow-pow day. You know, it was sicky bluebies, shred the pow pow, sick to Richter, buddy, bro. I don't that's know how, like, what any of that means. That's that's like that's like skiers are like surfers in a sense. They have like their own language. Um, <laughs> so, but that's what it was. And what you what I found out with after doing this for two or three years is yes, you have a lot of really cool experiences, but are they truly fulfilling you? You have to start with that. Like, what are the things that are going? Which is for me like. If it's a matter of, like you just said, like the glass of wine um, and the Netflix or the salsa class, if it's a salsa class by myself or the glass of wine and Netflix with my wife, I'm going to choose the glass of wine and Netflix with my wife because I know that that's going to fulfill me. That's the thing that's going to move the needle in terms of my own um, my own um, the direction I want to go towards. And I think it's really easy for people just to fill their days with – it's the opposite of the laziness is to fill their days with active activities because it's a distraction from figuring out truly what they want. I think you're right. Talking about adversity, it's something that I think is missing in a lot of people's lives and then can exist in extremes in other people's lives like the athletes that you coach. How can people learn to embrace adversity? Um, so adversity is, it's, it's essentially hard things, right? So it's, whether it's COVID, the pandemic, um, whether it's, um, it's raining outside or there's traffic or whether it's, um, a hard workout. The first thing we have to realize is this is a part of life. Like it's a, it's the most important thing is this acceptance level. We are not, as human beings or any other living thing on planet Earth, not going to face adversity. Like every, there was a study done uh, uh, where these scientists tried to grow, um, try to create utopia, this perfect garden, and they put it in this dome in the desert with the perfect humidity, the perfect amount of rain, the perfect soil, and um, they tried to make this perfect place. And once the trees got to a certain height, they just started toppling over. And what they found out was the trees need resistance. They need wind to grow strong. Without the wind, there's without resistance, they're, they're going to be weak. They're not going to they're not going to be able to fulfill their own destinies of being trees. It's we in our space and the people that do like our our sport and. Um, it's just known like the heart, if you work hard, you're going to reap better results. So why would we not just kind of like embrace it? Like why would we not just kind of seek this out? And the reason is because you're afraid you're going to fail. Um, so the example would be like, let's say one of my athletes is at the CrossFit games and a, um, and it's really, really hot out. Okay. Like that's going to make it harder. Yes, it's going to make it harder. So the first is like you have to accept that like it's outside your control. Okay. And then from there, it's like it's this hot for everybody. Okay. And then from there, it's the best thing is like why would you want it any other way? Like you're at the CrossFit Games. Don't you want this to be hard? It's a David Goggins thing. Like if you're going to go through Hell Week, give me the coldest, hardest freaking Hell Week ever. I don't want this easy Hell Week. I don't want the one that people go like, yeah, but that wasn't a tough one. 
give it to me like I'm going through this for a reason. That's our lives. We're going this for a reason. Now, I also want the sunshine and rainbows, and I also want to, um, you know, the grass to be green and to enjoy myself. But I also, I also want the struggle, and I, I really mean that. I want the struggle. When COVID first happened, um, you know, I own a, I own a, a small business, and I thought I might lose the business. I own a gym, and gyms were closing down. We closed the gym, and it was a day. It was a, it was a couple of days filled with anxiety, and. When I started to figure out like, okay, like we just talked about, like action cures anxiety, like just start moving forward, taking steps. Like you said, I just started writing lists of the things I need to do. I need to like start taking action. And as I started going to it, I started to get this like, this like early on, the thing I hadn't had for 10 years. Like it was like, I'm fighting for my survival again. And it was the best couple weeks of business ownership that I've had since I started my business. That's what we wax nostalgia about is the the days that are the hardest. Nobody goes like with their team at their, you know, at their business and goes, remember those three months where it was just like really smooth sailing. We all went home at 445 and, um, you know, we were just meeting the numbers and everything was kind of just like hunky dory and, you know, it's kind of blah. Like people go, remember when we stayed up that weekend and we till two in the morning getting that project done and we ordered pizza and we were burning the midnight oil and like we came in just under deadline and we crushed it and like how that's what people remember is your point is like create the memories. Like the adversity is the opportunities for us to get better. And I talk about in terms of one of your core values and mine from learning or curiosity, like what better you need that's moment like if you're gonna be curious about something as you said like i got this feeling like ooh, that warmness in my neck like what does that come from like that didn't come from the warm and fuzzies that came from a bad feeling adversity and now you get to dig into it and expose things and learn things and become better from it i love it man i um i really think that some of the lessons that come from adversity in retrospect are, are the ones that we really relish and if you were to tell someone that in advance it sounds so dumb but Mm -hmm. 60 or two-thirds of people report post-traumatic growth not post-traumatic stress so the trauma makes them stronger they are anti-fragile i had a a, an achilles rupture full achilles tear at the middle of last year uh, playing cricket which is like the most british way to rupture an achilles (laughs) (laughs) and um in, when, in like a four-day-long cricket match? No, no. In my first return to the game in a decade, which was obviously just as stupid. Um, what happened when I ruptured my Achilles was I found in myself a level of fortitude that I didn't know existed. I didn't think I would have a particularly good constitution to deal with this sort of trauma. And something happened. I'd spent a fair bit of time. It was a lot of Ryan Holiday and Ross Edgley, but... Like I, I did, I did a bit of prep, but then like when I needed it, it was called like when I, when I needed that fortitude to arrive, it was there. And now I have so much more faith in future me. I believe that the things that if something occurs that I don't think I'm capable of doing, if I need to, my constitution will get me through it. There's like areas of my programming that I can't access unless they're needed. You said it at the very beginning, the woman that pulls the car off the infant. There are things that you can do that you don't know that you can do. And for the, for the most part, you're not crew or the pilot 
on Spaceship Human. You are fucking cargo. You are along for the ride, and your program is running the show. And for you to think that you know the levels and the limits of your potential is... It, it, you're believing the, the hype in a way that is not only untrue, but also not productive. You can do things that you don't know that you can do, and you won't know that you can do them until you need to. Boom. Talking about confidence, I want to know how people can build confidence. It's just preparation. I mean, that's, it's, the same, it's the same word. Like People are confusing. Like um, If they're trying to create confidence, you don't create it. it confidence is a side effect. It's the result of something. People are like, okay, go on the field and be confident. It's like, what? Like, get on that stage and be confident. What? No, you, you, you earn confidence through your preparation. If you put in the work, you know that you can do this. Now, what I would ask of my athletes and what I would coach people to do is to define success in controllable terms. And when you start to do that, confidence becomes a lot more attainable because if confidence is I'm going to win, well, winning and results are outside your control. So now how in the world could you be confident when you don't even, when you have, you have no direct impact on the the end result of what you're doing. So if you define success in, you know, regardless of the adversity, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the score, regardless of what happens, I am going to give my very best effort through this. Yeah, that you can yeah cool if you yeah if you know you can do that that's confidence that's what that is and then if you bring a high level of preparation to that endeavor now we're really talking like because that's what it is then really whatever situation pops up is probably not gonna be new like imagine you're a football team or whatever it might be or um a business navigating a new situation well if you've prepared for those situations you can be confident for sure, but I think people um, think that they can call upon confidence, and you can't call upon confidence. It's the net end result of preparation and effort. Confidence needs to be earned. There's a Naval Ravikant quote where he says, self-esteem is the reputation you have with yourself. You'll always know. And I think we look at people because we only get to see that the outward display of confidence and you see Beyonce on stage or Matt Fraser at the games or some cool dancer person up on a stage somewhere and you think like look at that confidence and you go well what's the difference between confidence and so much preparation that you know even your worst effort is far better than you need it to be yeah right that yes that's confidence exactly right what advice would you have for a, a young guy or girl who feels like they've sort of built for more than they're currently achieving? So they're stuck in a bit of a mediocrity rut and they know that they've got potential, but they're just, they're kind of bogged down. Like, is there a realization that you can give them to snap out of it? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's a matter of, I don't think that snapping out of it really exists in, uh, without the work, right? Like, so if you've done your thousand days of meditation, you might have this snap moment, but it's coming from the other thousands of days that you've done this. So to me, it, it kind of starts with that first piece that we should be talking about, which is, um, 
like pull yourself out of the matrix, right? Like the, the operating system that you, which you, the words that you use, which I love is there is this either already self designed program running you. And then you're also inside of the matrix where the society is just guiding you. And basically you're just kind of like trying to walk down the hall without bumping into the walls. Like that's not like pop your head up and look at the entire maze and go like, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. I don't even want to, I don't want to be in this game. I want to go play that game over there. So if people are feeling bogged down, if they're feeling um, like they have so much more attainable, I would say that you probably do. And if you can't figure out what that thing is that you want to do, so what you said, Chris, is like, I would just go start having some experiences. Like you just need to start experiencing things because you learn so much more through experience and action than you ever will sitting and um, staying stuck. You can't – I'm a big fan of um, fast, big decisions. Like when 9-11 happened, I was working in a, a bank in Boston, like an investment bank, and – um, that was enough for me to, uh, that was a snap moment for me. And I was like, um, this is not for me. I don't want to play this game. I'm going to go, I want to have impact. Um, I left the investment world, moved out to Wyoming, um, to try to get some space and some solitude and be a ski bum and figure out what I want to do with my life. And that's when I came across it. I, I, I was like, I want to do fitness. Like this is what the thing that, this is when I feel alive. So one of my one of my principles one of my like guiding po- guideposts is blur the line between work and play like i love doing this with you chris like if i was like am i or like am i at work right now or am i playing right now right and it's the same thing like when i'm coaching my athletes like that's i i'm not working like i'm doing what i love to do and when i'm running and leading the business like that's what i love to do and when I, I, I don't, Mondays and Saturdays are the same. Like, it's just like, I'm always like, find something that you love to do. I know this is so cliche. It's the most cliche thing in the world, but I thought I loved to ski. So I went out to become a ski bum. And that's when I realized it wasn't just chasing the next big wave or the next storm that didn't really ultimately fulfill me. I wanted more. So then I made the next big drastic decision, which was let's move back and start a training business and just start going and doing that. And if you fail, you fail. Like when I did the, you know, there's plenty of things that I did that like, I was about to say that I failed at, but I don't really believe in failure. I just don't think it's a thing. I, I think that you do things and you, you just learn from them. You just kind of, and you have another experience and you learn from that. And some of them, come out the way you expected them to and some don't come out the way you expected them to. But it's not a a matter of successes or failures because even if it's a success, on whose terms? Like we don't know the scoreboard of life. So how are we going to time to find successes? So that's why to me it's – I've come down to this fulfillment word which is don't chase joy. Don't chase pleasure. But certainly don't chase what mom and dad told you to do or what society is telling you to do. 
Certainly don't just do what you're doing now because it's what you did yesterday and the day before and the day before that and the day before that. Pop your head up, take a look around and go, what do I want with my life? Um, and when you come to that answer, maybe ask yourself why a couple times because it's the asking yourself why. So we have this thing like ask yourself the five whys. So, um, you know, I want to start, um, I just want to, I just want to get, um, I want to go, I want to ski. Why? Because like, uh, it makes me feel, uh, I want the, the freedom and the experience. And she's like, you keep backing up and we find out is there wasn't a good why behind that. But it's like, I want to, um, start a training business. Why? And it's like, I ended up coming all the way back to like, I just feel this incredible responsibility to turn people from potentially liabilities to assets. My biggest fear is that I'm a liability to my family. I just, my family is my, is the whole jam. And my biggest fear is that my family has to take care of me at some point. And I, I just want to be able to be like grandpa's here and go like skiing with them and like do all this really cool, fun stuff. Like I want to be an asset at all times. And I want to be able to do that for other people. And that's the reason why, like that's, that's my thing. I want to be able to, um, make other people's lives better by being a part of it. Like I, I just want to, um, and I want to be able to do that for other people. And that's a pretty powerful why for me. That's enough to like get me really, really excited to get up at five fifteen every morning. And it, when you can ask yourself that one thing that you go, yeah, that's the thing. Maybe we won't be as stuck. That's it, man. I think the best heuristic for whether or not you, your life has meaning is are you excited to get out of bed or not? If you're excited to get out of bed in the morning, you have a reason to. If you're not, I think that there's probably some questions to be asked. One thing yeah, you've, like you've kept on using the word fulfillment throughout this conversation. What I think is fulfillment is excellence with meaning. The excellence without meaning can be perfection for, the, for its own sake, but excellence with meaning is excellence with direction. It's going toward a thing. I got a, I got a last yeah. I got a last question. I got asked this on Twitter the other day, and it was really good. So I'm going to ask you it as well. What do you think Ben ten years from now would advise Ben now? It's a question I ask myself a lot, and that's kind of um, how I got to where I am, tracking all this stuff and thinking about um, this kind of hindsight in in this present moment right now. Is I think I would go, hey. It's important that you have some levels of success from the business thing. Like I think that you're going to find a lot of fulfillment out of that. I think you're going to feel value out of that. That seems to be like something that you should chase. But more so and equally as important or like let's not forget about also your family and also let's also like continue to learn things as well. And so the biggest thing for me is that I – I want to create this balance across you – know, if, if, if life is made up of um, family, career, hobbies, spirituality, health, and maybe another thing. Like, my kind of objective is to try, just sort of like balance those at all points. Not a seesaw but like a, a Frisbee on a pencil where not every, you know, nothing tips too much. It might swing a little bit one way or the other but – 
I've seen too many times friends and, um, you know, parents of my friends that have chased one of those things too far. And, um, it affects all the others. And what I'm trying to do is create, um, that balance to, to achieve what I think is, um, hopefully going to lead to a fulfilled life. You know, I, I think along with that is like what the thing I'm starting to learn a little bit through this, uh, meditation practice would be, so I'm answering this question twice. Um, like let it go, bro. Like just like this ego thing, this, like this subconscious pattern recognition thing that we have of like this need to be right. And this need for, um, attention and this need for, um, you know, I don't know what, like, I'm, an, I'm a pretty, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because I have a podcast. I wrote a book and like I, I have a social media platform, but I'm a very introverted person. So, um, when people are introverted, it's kind of like, well, that person doesn't have much of an ego. Um, but ego is more than just like the need to be in the, the spotlight on them and all that. The ego is like, um, it's so powerful and um potentially destructive and i think it would i think my future self would go um try to be more at peace in harmony with those around you and just connect more with people because i think that at the end of the day you know in terms of like we were talking about like chasing experiences i think if you're chasing connection Whatever the experiences you have, whether it's sitting and meditating with somebody, literally kind of like doing nothing <laughs> or bungee jumping, it doesn't really matter because it's the connections we have people that are probably going to matter the most. That's such like a fortune cookie way to end a podcast. <laughs> I think it's right, man. The trajectory that everyone can look to to kind of predict where they're going to end up is where older people are. And the vast majority of older people, if you look at them, they're not bothered about, like, your grandparents aren't bothered about what car they drive, not necessarily bothered about what shoes they're wearing, not really even too bothered. They've stopped playing status games. Like, what are the things that they're concerned about? They've simplified their life down. They've probably got a little bit more conservative politically. Uh, they are not so bothered about sort of chasing pennies, but they're fairly concerned about going to church on Sunday or going to play bulls with their friends, or the whatever night they have with their partner, that's what they care about. And we can almost look, the same way as evolution works, evolution of life, evolution of a philosophy within a life. That's quite easy to look at. Just look at the people that are older than you. What are they All doing? Right. That's probably where you're going to end up. Man, this, um, this has been awesome. I, uh, mm. I, we've waited for a long time. I'm very, very glad that we did. If people want to check out comp train, download the app, do all that stuff, where should they go? Yeah. Um, comp train, uh, just Google comp train. It'll pop right up. Um, otherwise it's in the app store. That's the, uh, it's the training program that we have. Um, yeah, that's, it's as easy as that. The Google, the Google machine knows where to go. Chasing excellence. The book will be linked below along with Ben and Patrick's fantastic podcast, which I uh, 
I continue to listen to, man. It's appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, man. The stuff that you do there. Dude, thank you for today. You got it, buddy. Thank you. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.